idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Navier Alora. Navier is a natural-born clairvoyant, medium, and a lifelong experiencer of the weird. She hails from a dual lineage of spiritualists, mediums, and sensitives. Navier is a graduate of the Blue Otter School of Energetic Herbalism and is a Reiki master teacher since 1999. She offers distant shamanic Reiki healing sessions to assist in breaking through karmic blocks and patterns. She's a pagan princess with over 25 years in the craft. She offers magical mentorship through her witch school, a lunar and solar magical system observing the witch's wheel of the year, as well as monthly magic classes, lunar rituals, and one-on-one mentorship meetups. Navier, welcome to the show. Aloha. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, for on. I'm a pagan priestess, not priestess, princess. But... I know. I love did I say, that. Did I say princess? Yes. My bad. You did. I love it, though. I'll take it. <laughs> it was, that was so funny. Oh, my goodness, Jerry. I love it. I was squinting. <laughs> I don't know. She's, she's a princess, though, too. Sure. All women are princesses. <laughs> Well, it's a definitely a pleasure. And I want immediately want to just give a shout out to uh, Rivers, who really pushed in the beginning and brought your name forward for me. And I love her. She actually was there for one of the darkest nights of my whole life and sat there while I cried and cried and cried for hours and was there with me. So I just love Rivers. And she has definitely pushed for you and i'm so glad this finally is happening i've loved your presence on our mutual friend joe's show so and welcome r- aboard for yeah, sure rivers is in chat and she just said oh thank you oh i'm thank sending you my so love much. rivers yes rivers and is a I gem want, i know i totally love rivers too and she's become such a beautiful presence in my almost day-to-day life so thank you rivers for your support and for this connection. And I've been um, delighted whenever I catch Nox Mente or the Obelisk or any of your guest spots, Jerry and Nish. So thank you so much for having me. This is a delight for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is, this is fun. Long time coming, long time coming. Yes. <laughs> you so, said coming again. I know, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've got to laugh. I mean, seriously. So let's let's move into it. And uh, we we have so much, you know. I mean, we're both witchy women in the world, and we have so much overlap. And as I've listened to a couple of like a couple of the lightning uh, lighting the void shows, I was like, oh, she's right after my own heart. Just the do it thing. I don't. I can't count the times I've moved over a hundred times that I've left with no money. I mean, I've just done it like you. And it's it's so rewarding. People get so caught up in planning and all this. And then there are people like us that just jump. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Yeah. And it has served me well. I mean, it's been scary at times. Sure. I have I've been in very uncomfortable situations because of it. And yet one thing I've learned is I always survive. And even if even if we don't survive, there's the whole process of jumping into the dark and the inner space 
that is within that brings out something really amazing from the process. Absolutely. 100% I feel that jumping into the abyss when I'm called to do so and following, sometimes it's, I feel like I'm in that frogger game where it's, you know, I'm, I'm shown that log. Okay. Well, I'm going to hop from one treacherous situation to the log and, oh my gosh, now the cliff is coming and the waterfall. Oh, here comes another log. Like I'm always taken care of, but sometimes it is that moment to moment leaping in faith and you're always caught by the universe. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah. This is, that's always the pearl of wisdom, Navia, that I've told people. I'm like, if you're really, if everything's <laughs> leading you that way, do it. And oftentimes, the t couple times I've ignored it, my life was just so, it's like the, I was just going to get pushed anyway, one way or another. And so I think to just get on the wave and ride it is a really great way to go. But I understand people do have fear and there, there are a lot of different stories around people that they hold on to, but not for, not for birds like us. <laughs> Mm -hmm. absolutely <laughs> honey we got wings yes. so all right we're gonna get into nox mente this is already fantastic we're going way back girl and i know that you have some juicy stuff back in there in the swimming mm. pool and all this so navier has a couple ndes back there so this is a very intriguing woman with a lot to uh bestow upon us. So back in the earliest period of young you, mm -hmm. what are the things that stick out? And, you know, just as far back, whether they're good or bad, pop culture, what is sticking out with the early, early, early you? I would say the earliest memories or what, if I go back, what's the lingering feeling is, um, feeling like the people around me can relate to me and don't know what I'm experiencing. That feeling of being very um, kind of alone or an, an island unto myself with my unique perspective kind of isolating me. And I did feel spirits around at a really early age and um, you're alluding to the time I almost drowned when I was, um, so my parents were having an in-ground pool built in spring the year before I turned four. And then that summer, um, I actually jumped into the pool without knowing how to swim without my life jacket on. So I started to to sink and drown. And that's one of my first memories is like vivid, clear memories is, is drowning, almost drowning. And um, I left my body and saw my mother in the pool with me, unable to move, just kind of frozen screaming. And I had an experience of what they called the great voice. Um, kind of sounds like your own voice, but really loud and really clear. And it said, she's not going to save you. You have to get to the side of the pool. And I sort of got like a matrix download 
a little tutorial of how to do the doggy paddle flashed in my mind. And I quote unquote swam to the side of the pool and got out. But it, that experience seemed to kick in like a lucidity from day to day life from then on. I don't feel like I was really a child in the same way after that. Things got weird after that first memory. So when you say weird, could you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, so I was an only child and my mother's mother lived with us. And right after that um, NDE experience and leaving my body, it was that sense of I couldn't pretend that we weren't just a body anymore because I had left my body and had seen my body from a different perspective that I wasn't in. So everything kind of became clear to me that we were more than our physical vehicles. And I started to see experiences. Um, I started to experience otherworldly phenomenon. Like when I would go to lay in my room at night, um, I would feel things touching me. I would hear my name whispered. Um, I would have visual things like wispy white um, things coming out of the closet that looked more sinister, like gray kind of smoky things. Um, and they were coming for me at night. And I would scream for this grandmother or knock on the wall and she would come and rock me to sleep every single night. When she was there, they wouldn't bother me. So she would stay with me until I would fall asleep and sometimes just spend the whole night. Um, so the spirit started coming around. When I, when I say things got weird, that's a big part of what I mean, realizing that the house was really active and they recognized me or wanted to interact with me. Um, that's, that's probably the biggest way. And then also having, um, I would say prophetic dreams of people that were about to die in my family and other weird circumstances that I knew were going to happen. And yeah. Tell me about the grandmother you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I still miss her every day. Um, my grandmother was one of 21 children and her parents were immigrants from Italy and she was a triplet and in the tropical, she was a Scorpio. So she was pretty witchy and pretty intense. And when she was I guess, 16, she was abducted by a stranger on the street and raped by him. And we're talking like 1940. So she didn't know what sex was. And she just went home and took a bath and didn't tell anyone. And then one of her older sisters saw her about six months later taking a bath and said, oh my gosh, you're so fat. I think you're pregnant. I can't, you know, 
and her brother had just come home from the war and you know her father is there her mom had just died it was a really weird time for that family and um of course abortion wasn't legal and her father was kind of suggesting that they do um a back alley type situation and someone came and consulted with her and said you know she's too far along she'll die i can't do this so it was a shameful thing on my family. Um, they had to move. They put my mother, my grandmother, who was pregnant with my mother, in a convent. And after she had my mother, she left her there for a year. And it was a really traumatizing experience for my mom and my grandmother. And that was kind of what she carried around with her this like really deep sense of shame and this really sort of dark inner knowing of surrender and suffering and um, a really profound connection to her sisters. She had three other sisters and they were all telepathic. The phone wouldn't be ringing. This is back in the day when you had one phone in the house and it would just be quiet and I would see her walking across the floor towards the phone. And I would say, what are you doing, Graham? And she said, my sister's calling. And I'd say, no one's on the phone, ring. <laughs> it happened all the time. And she would have crazy, creepy dreams where she would cry out and moan in the middle of the night and wake up everybody. And I'd have to go in and wake her up. And she would tell me the crazy dreams she would have, um, like bizarre, crazy dreams, like people who were um, frozen, that were ice cubes or dead in a, like a frozen block. And she would be dunking them in like a vat of something. She would tell me all these crazy, th you know, I was little and she would tell me these weird dreams that just wake up and sort of without thinking, just like, oh, I was doing this, you know. Um, but her and her sisters did like a very sort of family folky kind of Catholic strega magic that they were really hush-hush about. And they would speak only in Italian to each other. Of course, they weren't teaching us what they, what they were saying. And every now and again, you'd hear my name pop up and I would look and they'd be like, oh, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but they were all telepathic, and one aunt in particular used to do this, um, like Christmas Eve, evil eye, the the Maloik they called it, oh, yeah. ceremony where you could go into the kitchen. It was all like on the down low. It wasn't announced. She, you would get tapped, like so and so would come and whisper, and then they'd disappear. Yeah. And oh like, yeah. Where's so? Where's so and so? You know. And then they'd come back and they'd have like oil on their foreheads or, <laughs> you know, and you'd say, what happened? And they say, oh, nothing, you know, just leave it. And um, I always wished when I got into my teen years that she would teach me it. But I would ask my grandmother about it and she would say, oh, that's just a prayer. She says, it's not like they were tight lipped about it. They wouldn't teach me. And it was almost like I felt that 
um, like you don't ask, you know, it was yeah. sort of scolding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it seemed like they all had a, um, my grandmother and two sisters, one not so much, but um, the ones that she looked like, which is funny. One was always kind of joking that maybe she was the milkman's daughter because she was kind of tall and slender and all my aunts were like four foot eight and yep. <laughs> <laughs> little weeble wobble munchkins. So <laughs> little Italians, I love that. It, yeah. You know, the matriarchal thing is so real and that rings a lot of bells with me, just that kind of hush hush uh, witchery. And it, it was necessary necessity to keep it on the down low always and we see this through all the cultures what was her name let's call her name out we're in the salmon season here yes um her american name was helen but her birth name was elena e-l-e-n-a Beautiful, mm -hmm. Elena. Well, welcome, Elena. Elena. And so when you were having these experiences in the house when you were little and nothing would come around, uh, this is definitely the work of Elena, putting some of that beautiful Stragori stuff around you, the protection and these things new, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And my mother and father, and again, we're talking tropical astrology. Um, yes. were, yeah. were air signs. So I was this mystical witchy little kid with a, an Aquarius dad and a Libra mom. And it was just like very intellectualize it. Yeah. Like oh, your little that's emotional cancer self. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, oh, it's just your imagination. Boop, boop, you know, mm -hmm. just forget about it. And my dad was, um, super Catholic when I mean, we all were in the family, but my dad was kind of the zealot out of everybody. And, um, I would find little, uh, like prayer cards, saint cards. Yes. Tucked, yeah. tucked into my pillow. Um, I would see, um, little cards that said, blessed be the holy name of Jesus in my pillowcases and under my mattress and stuff. So I think he was, he was a little scared. Honestly. Yeah, of course. You know, and just did his best to relate to it. And um, years later, I found out that. So after his mom passed away, um, he sort of just took me away from his entire family. I didn't see anyone from the time I was five or six till maybe 17. And they, again, with the kind of secretive, they won't tell me why kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, when a lot of the people I think he was either angry with or whatever had passed away, his nieces came a knocking and they were like, we would just like to be a part of your family. We didn't do anything. We don't know why you've kept everyone away from our cousin and, you know, our uncle. So we had like a big reunion at our house and my cousin Diane, who was an astrologer, old school seventies astrologer, like Oh, I love those. Everything by hand. Yes, you know, that's how I learned. I mean, I cannot do this math, but she was 
she was legendary to me because my mother, I would do something and my mother would say, oh, that's what Diane said you'd do. <laughs> or that's what Diane's chart said you'd be like, or you look like your cousin Diane. And one day when I was a teen, I was so irritated. I was like, well, it would be nice if I could get to know this cousin Diane, because I mean, why can't I be around these people? And it was around that time that I think they contacted my dad and we had a party and they came over. And this Diane um, came and we had like a little walk around the house and talked and um, she, she looked at me and she said, I know you have the site. And I said, I think so. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? And she, she said, well, you know, I have it. And um, did you know that your auntie Helen Helen on the other side too, my dad's sister. Mm -hmm. um, did you know that your auntie Helen had seances every new moon? And mm -hmm. I said, no, I didn't know that. And she looked at me and she said, she's a, she was a medium. She was a medium. Where do you think you got it from? <laughs> and I didn't even realize that I had like officially gotten anything because I was just kind of keeping it to myself because it wasn't well received, you know? And it was shortly after that, that I was given a deck of tarot and would hang out with Diane and play with crystals and play with astrology and play with tarot. And I think we even did some spirit boards and going to like the local metaphysical shops. That was a really sweet time for me that like late teens, early twenties, getting into like official witchcraft and um, meditation and learning about divination and having that moment with a cousin that I kind of always heard about and got to actually, you know, connect with finally. So that was a sweet time. I love the serendipity there. What period of time was that? So let's see, 19, let's see. I graduated high school in 91. So right around there. Okay. Yeah. So it was in full swing. That's awesome. Let's let's wind back to early you when you were back in that room and all that. Did you have so with all this activity around you and this wonderful gram that was there? I'm just loving as I feel into her, by the way. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. she's, yeah, she's wonderful. It is. So what was going on as far as fears now i know a couple of the fears you had early on because i've listened to you on joe's show uh but for the sake of people that do not know so what were some early fears you have well um fears as far as i didn't like to sleep alone and i didn't like to be um Mm, how can I say this? Um, there was a TV show in the 70s named The Monkees. And I was terrified of, of, that, sh of that show, of the theme song <laughs> and of that show. And I also didn't like parades. And because in that theme song, they said, here we come walking down your street. It would make me think of a parade. 
-hmm. and it was scary to me. (laughs) And years later, um, so I must have been like maybe, maybe five years old. My cousin had a summer solstice birthday and I went to her beach party and they had a clown, which I don't like. And he was playing that shell game with like a blue and red shell, like, look where the nut is. Woo, not there, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kept guessing where the nut was <laughs> and he was really over it. So he just gave me the shells. He was like, just take them. <laughs> now we're going to do balloon animals, you know? So right around that time, that within a day or so of that party, my father's mother, my babcha passed away and she lived, she came from Poland and I've been in touch with her via mediumship since this time. And I now know she was clairvoyant and a medium. That's where her daughter, Helen got it. And that's where a lot of other family members that I know of got it um but she had passed so my dad and my mother had to travel to her um services and whatnot and my mother's mother elena was living with us so she took care of me so i remember having the shells with me and the monkeys came on and i thought okay i'm gonna cover my eyes with these shells and walk out of the room because I didn't want to hear their theme song or watch the monkeys. And when I covered my eyes, I walked into a post that was in between the living room and dining room and gave myself a big concussion. So I feel like it was a a terror kind of fear where I had to get out of the room. Um, That was a big one when I was was young. Another fear that I have or it's now kind of like a major irritation, but it's not a fear anymore, but it's jazz music. I cannot handle jazz music <laughs> at all. It, I've Any almost, kind of, there's so many different kinds. I can get smooth oh, jazz is terrible. <laughs> I don't know. Just, it just, it creates that classic fear response where the back of my neck hairs hackle come hackles come up mm-hmm. i start to sweat and <laughs> come um, on truck mangione is awesome i can't i i i can't even appreciate it from a musical diana like, point Krall. of view oh it, diana crawl's awesome so wait, let, me, let me let me get this so clowns i'm making a list of all the things that <laughs> freak out clowns uh <laughs> Drowning, um, smooth jazz. parades, 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 parades. the monkeys, the monkeys. That was the other one. There's also one significant one that I heard you speak of was water. Um, I'm not afraid of water, like but deep water. I, deep water freaks me out because I don't know what's down there. It feels like there could be creatures down there or the abyss i am i don't even enjoy snorkeling but i did go and get my scuba my open water scuba just to kind of prove to myself i could do it but i was terrified the entire time to be honest yeah. with you yeah i'm with you on that mm-hmm. so all right so back in the early days when 
also kind of back there and then we'll wrap this up there what was the kind of pop culture around you that was inspiring to you that you wanted more of I loved a TV show called Mighty Isis that used to be on I Saturday mornings. It. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> old old school. And it was a, a live live action kind of show. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought it was badass as a kid. I loved I had her. I've forgotten about that, by the way. It's so great uh, that you just brought that Mighty up. Yeah. <laughs> um I used to love the super friends and wonder woman yeah and i mean i grew up with bionic man and bionic woman or yeah 100 yep. million dollar yep. man yep. Yep. whatever Lindsay i Wagner. remember all those yeah do you do you remember uh, the banana splits it's like dun, 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 yep. dun, 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 <laughs> right yep. i think so it's shadowy yeah banana splits is shadowy for me too it's because your guys aren't as old as me that's true. Um, okay, so your dreaming experience back when you were young. So you get you tease us a little bit with it, and we know that now, now we have this foundation to work from. That you have all this uh, incredible lineage going on on all sides of your family that have come through, that mm -hmm. has come through. So, and then there's the precog stuff you already mentioned, and I want to get into that, of course. So what was your experience with dreaming young? So this has to be like early you, just early you in the idea of dreaming. So, you know, the first quarter of your life. Mm -hmm. um, dreaming had different um like i never didn't want to go to sleep but i often had dreams that were terrifying but it wasn't i didn't have a resistance to going to sleep it was just if i could be with my grandmother i felt safe enough to go to sleep and i love to sleep i could sleep 12 hours i'm a dreamy sleepy kind of person if i if i can um yeah. and i'm definitely a night person but um, I did have some really scary dreams and right after that um, summer with almost drowning, um, right around the holiday time, I started having this like repetitive dream of being in a dark room where I could hear people crying around me. Um, I hear typing. I just sent Jerry a private message about oh, okay. that. Last okay. week and this week, his typing's been so loud. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was fucking muted. <laughs> no, okay. it's happened both weeks. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. Okay. So um, I would have a dream where I was walking. I'd have that feeling of motion that I'm walking forward. and But it was all kind of in a sepia tone. And I would hear mournful sobbing from around and behind me um a collective like almost and there would be like a brightness at the top but like towards the ceiling or the wall upper wall but around me and low was this dark sepia tone with people of all genders crying and then i'd wake up 
and towards later in the winter um more details were coming in the dream and i started to see a box at the end of the path and one of the last times i dreamt of it um, so it was like a recurring sort of plaguing me kind of dream and i'd wake up crying and um one of the last times i saw my uncle in the box with july the only thing on the calendar written was July with my birthday, 11, circled in red. Oh. It almost looked like someone had like taken like a marker and like circled it five or six times, you know, so I would see it. It was weird. But I knew my what my birthday was. And I woke up and he was a father figure to my mother. So he was like a father fi grandfather figure to me. It was very upsetting to see him there. And I woke up alone. I remember running into my parents' room and saying, Uncle Johnny is going to die on my birthday. And of course, it was just, it's just a dream. And, you know, don't cry. He's okay. That kind of thing. But I knew it. I knew he was going to die. And he ended up getting, um, I think it was pancreatic cancer. I'm not 100% sure. And it was some kind of cancer. I went to see him in the hospital. And um, yeah, so he ended up dying on my birthday. And for years, my birthday was not something we really celebrated. We sort of half-assed celebrated it, but um, all the family really close to us, this was, you know, my aunt's husband and my cousin's father and their kids, grand, you know, it was, no one, no one wanted to really celebrate July 11th for a while. And on some level, I felt not responsible, but because I knew it felt like I was in somehow cahoots with it, or I don't know, like it wasn't logical, but I did feel like stained by it somehow. It wasn't a pleasurable experience. Was this the first time that it was that, uh, that clear with the precog stuff? Yeah, it was really clear. And um, I can still, I still feel within myself, like when I know something, and I feel that urge to tell someone about it. And then I'm met with disbelief. And it's like this unwavering, I know. And you can accept it or not. But you're convincing, you're trying to convince me that it's not real or not true or not going to happen. And it's just this, it's like every fiber of my being tells me this is truth. This is, this is happening or this is going to happen or yeah. Be, so, and let's see before this or around this, had you had encounters with those that had already passed that you knew? in your life or in your family that were already passed. So not a precog where they were going to pass, but they, you encountered them in the dream space and they had already passed. No, but I did have people that I, I believe lived in the house where I lived that were showing up, mm -hmm. but I didn't know them in life. What would one of those uh, exposures appear like or be like within the dream space 
um, they would wake me up out of my sleep and they would be at the foot of the bed. These, um, it was one and older woman in particular. Was she in an apparition form? She was see-through. She wasn't solid, but she was clearly, I mean, I could see her features. I could describe how her hair looked, um, what she was wearing, that kind of thing. Um, but she could, she definitely was an apparition. She wasn't a solid being. Did she communicate to you? No. But not that I can recall, but I would wake up sometimes talking to her. Mm. I would, I would wake up kind of propped up on my, on my hand and be in full, whatever I'm mm -hmm. saying, yeah. and kind of wake up like, who am I talking to? And realize, oh, I saw that lady again. So I had seen her, like woke up, saw her, went back to sleep, and then woke up talking in a weird language. Mm -hmm. Did that sort of that sort of work was um, like a, a unit for a while. And this wasn't threatening at all. You weren't, we were, I sense that you weren't afraid of it. No, it was weird, but I, I wasn't fearful of her or of the experiences. Did when your, your granny was there, was she, the, the more disruptive ones would stay away, of course, when your granny was there. Would these that were more benign be around? No. So you, Granny just cleared everything. Yeah. The only times that <laughs> the only times that I would wake up um in the middle of the night was when she had, you know, gone she she would rock me to sleep and then she would go and sleep in her own bed. Yeah. After I fell asleep. And then one more time with her. How old were you when she passed? Oh gosh. Um it was two thousand 10. I was with her when she passed away. I stayed did, with her. Yeah. Did so. you know beforehand? Yeah. I was actually in Northern California in a remote location and my cell phone didn't work there. And I went to sleep one night and I heard my mother's voice in my head going, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? It was just on a loop in my head. And I pulled my tarot cards out and I got um, 10 of swords and the death card. Mm -hmm. It's like, boom, boom. I thought, yeah. okay, someone's <laughs> going to die. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like it was my grandma immediately. And in the morning, I went into the house and asked to use the landline. And when I called my mother, she said, where are you? And I said, I'm in California. And she said, you need to come home. Grandma's in the hospital. And I mean, I stopped, dropped everything and, you know, flew there. The first flight, red eye, got to New England. And um, when I got there, and this is super personal, but I'm going to share it. Um, I was like, okay, like, Let's go see grandma, you know, and my mom and dad wouldn't go. They mm -hmm. didn't want to, they didn't want to come to the hospital with me. And 
I spent three weeks with just by myself with her and mm. as she was about to transition you know other relatives came um, but for whatever reason my parents couldn't bear it so I had to do it on my own I didn't have a partner back then and so it was pretty intense but I feel like I walked with her to the edge you know yes and it's a gift as you know yeah for sure it, it is, was a honor yeah I've, I've felt like that with the deaths I've been a part of and your your mama or your papa never explained why they couldn't deal with it no they didn't that's interesting yeah I know it was it was a hard time um they both my mom and dad are both passed now they're on the other side too and um my dad was really sort of tight-lipped about things I would ask him something and he would say you know I don't know end of story <laughs> <Cut and dry. laughs> that was it yep. <laughs> you know I don't know that's it um and my mom I don't know we had a really complex um relationship for sure yeah I've heard you speak of it before yeah so and it started with your drowning yeah I I really didn't look at that for a long time and it sort of bubbled up and over when I was living at a yoga center in British Columbia and I realized I felt so much sorrow and abandonment and resentment at her that she couldn't save me or didn't save me or didn't even try and um strange I talked to this one lady she walked in to me sobbing my eyes out and she said what's the matter and I started to tell her and she looked at me and her eyes got really wide and she was like this kick-ass yogi ma who was I just thought the world of and she looked at me and she said this happened to me with my daughters they were in a lake and you know the drop-off was unexpected and they were drowning and I couldn't save them I was frozen and all I could do was yell for my my boyfriend to come and save them yeah and I I thought wow Savita can't get it together to save her kids from drowning <laughs> you know and my mom wasn't this you know ashtanga yogi medicine woman you know what yeah. I mean yeah so I found some peace and forgiveness there that's how that's how we have to do it it's it's funny how it can trickle in when so I want to I want to linger here on precognitive stuff and especially around since we're in the Salon season, Malia. This is and you're here. It's perfect. I always love a witch on this show for the for Salon, and it's only yeah. a couple of days away. So, uh, with the precog stuff, others that you encountered in the dream space or in a lucid state that we're going to pass and of course the first thing i think of is both your parents did you know beforehand i i did with my mother and with my father but with my mother it's it was an ongoing maybe maybe a month of having a lit altar and and 
waiting for her to transition. I could feel her at the gate, unafraid, I mean, afraid. And my grandmother was coming to me in dreams saying, um, I can't be with you, I have to be with my daughter. Mm. It was, um, she lingered there for a long time. And I actually did ceremony with some of the people that I'm closer to here that have, um, you know, like Filipino and different island background that they were calling their ancestors to help escort her because um, she really needed to, to cross over. And I could feel her at the gate, like reluctant to go. And they were blowing the, the conch shell. And mm. that was sort of like my last resort to do that. And right around then was when we got the call that it was closer to time. But with my yeah. dad, um, there was a lot of um, strange scenario that happened with my dad. Um, it's kind of a long story, but in, in short, I had talked to the hospice people and I was like, can you give me a heads up so I know that I can get there in time because I'm coming from far away. You know what I mean? And all of these different phone calls didn't make it to me. And the first I heard of him passing, sorry, um, was the day before his funeral. And different people had contacted me and I didn't get the message for whatever reason. And when I finally got word that he had passed, he, it was the day of his funeral that we had already had like set up, ready to go. Yeah. And he had an attorney handling, you know, so I wasn't able to get to his funeral because I wouldn't have physically would not have made it. It's so weird. There was a lot of, um, and I've done so many readings with different, different friends and different other seers as to why. And it, it feels like I was being protected from not, from not going there. Yeah, of course. We, I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. Did you, have you encountered them? We'll stay on your appearance for a second here. Have you encountered them in the dream space since? I've encountered my mother, but not my dad. And my mom has had, um, closer to her passing, I was encountering her when I would visit my childhood home and she would be there. And I would kind of like walk in and be like, oh, mom, you're here. And it would be like, what are you doing here? She would be kind of angry at me or surprised and sort of startled and a little bit angry. And then more recently, I've just the other night I dreamt of her. We were walking down the road together and I had been in a situation. This is kind of a funny dream, but... I was in a, at a house party in this dream and I was with someone that I used to date 20 years ago and I walked into a room and he was 
sleeping with someone else. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a very androgynous person. And I kind of like rolled them over just to like, is this a a female or a male? (laughs) Yeah. And um, he was kind of like, don't touch it. Don't touch her. Um, And I just said, well, I just wanted to know what was going on. And I said, that's fine. You know, do what you want kind of thing. And decided I was leaving the party. And now I'm walking with my mom in the dream. And I, I said, oh, maybe I should still give him a ride. I don't know if he has a ride home. And she started laughing at me. And she said, this man is sleeping with someone else while he's on a date with you. And you're thinking, does he have a ride home? She <laughs> said, you're such a mush. And she kind of like, when she said mush, she kind of like pushed my, my shoulder. Um, and I felt it. I felt, and I kind of woke up with this. Mm. I was like startled awake kind of. Um, yeah, it was a, that dream earlier in the dream. I was in an antique shop and I was wandering around in this antique shop and I had this big old, um, not that old, but a big old um, velvet papazon chair. And in the dream, I had that and I was trying to fit it through a door in this antique shop and the owner of the antique shop was trying to help me like op- like unlatching the double door so I could fit this Queen Latifah chair out and he had this creature that was sort of like a dog mixed with a llama or an <laughs> ostrich it had two necks and two heads oh very alchemical so weird and the top of so the first neck and head was the mother and the to the left and bottom um head and neck they said was the the, her son but it felt like they came to be at the same time and Mm. they definitely had fur not feathers but it did kind of look like that long ostrich kind of neck um, but the fur kind of looked like woolly, um, and the bottom, so the, the dog part or the bottom part was probably up to my chest, about four and a half feet tall. And then that's when the neck and head started. So it was well over six, seven feet. It was big. And I was a little bewildered by it. And it was very curious. And the heads were kind of rotating and coming at me it was weird um creamy white colored and the man who owned the store was really concerned that they would get out Um, but i could feel the different personalities between the mother and the son they're distinct when they would approach me or engage with me they felt very different but that was all the same dream that imagery is amazing. And it, as I said earlier, it just seems very, for me as an observer from the outside, lots of alchemical cues cue yes. in there. Mm-hmm. And which really signals what part of the process you were going through in the stream too. Also the androgynous nature of the person as well, highly, highly alchemical. And this is an advanced state of the process. So this is after the vessel sealed and all this. So that's that's really a beautiful uh, dream to bring forward. 
what about so also i i wanted to get an idea of how you experience lucidity within the dream space what does it look like feel like what's it like in general when you're in a lucid dream it's i feel like all of my senses are pretty much present it feels pretty almost like i'm on psychedelics yeah yes <laughs> you know things are a little bit um glowy and sparkly and a little bit surreal mm -hmm. but very um very like the earth plane in a way and i've i've done a lot of dream work with i had a shamanic teacher years ago and um it helped me to identify when i'm in a dream versus you know in a um, precog state even it's like there's a, sh a shift there for me um but when i'm in a dream state where i'm kind of just interacting with things it's kind of like um like a psychedelic kind of world almost but yeah how much so and and there's a lot of everyone experiences life different every every point of consciousness is really very individually tailored and lucid dreaming is no exception so how much control do you feel like you have obviously you're aware and it's it's all this these details you've described but do you feel as if you have a lot of control and i know for some that that's part of what they think lucid dreaming is but i think there's that's a layer that can be another layer not everyone has control or expresses control when they're lucid i don't feel like i'm in control i feel like i am along for the ride and experiencing almost like a wonderment yeah. as things um unfold and a lot of times i'm in a weird sort of mobility where maybe um I'm on all fours, kind of like scooting or sliding or, um, you know, there's this sense of like, I'm not walking. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. You got a baby there? Yeah, my little Noah bot just came. Do you want to lay down? <laughs> I think he heard his paw in the jungle because he's been. Hi, so you mentioned scooting, and he's just thinking about that rug and how he wants to scoot on it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, kitty cam. Oh. <laughs> he's he's our snuggle bugger. He's um big tiger boy. Yeah, Jerry's usually got his kitty cam on for people too. Yeah, they're. I don't know where they are. They're trick or treating already. They're going. No, early they're tonight. not. They're not allowed to trick or treat. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is dangerous out there. No, it's not. So, all right, back to. <laughs> back to not in my ultimate. neighborhood. It's not. <laughs> yeah, not in mine, but you know, it's the general idea. It's Salin. 
Uh, okay, so what? So with out of bodies, now you've had two NDEs, and I need to remind people always, NDE is a near death experience. It doesn't necessarily mean you actually, you know, tapped out for five minutes and then were revived back. It's a near death experience, and there's a lot of miscommunication about that that tended that tends to need to be cleared up so but you've had two and one of the things i wanted to get with obes now out of body experience with you is do you have those are you uh someone that is tapping into that and doing that how does that play out for you i've had a lot of OBEs that were separate from the near-death experiences. Um, and they're definitely not at my will. I'm not trying to get out of body necessarily, although I've, I have a few times, but it's not something that I, I've studied or pursued. It just sort of happens. And some of my earliest memories are of floating around in my room and seeing mm -hmm. The, the nightlight or the crib or different things. Um, the staircase, like flying down the staircase as a, as a little kid, I remember that. And, um, and so this is kind of weird, but I remember um, having an OBE in like near dream time. So I was falling asleep, but wasn't quite asleep and left and came out of my body went down the hallway, down the staircase, and went into the kitchen and saw the kitchen as, a, as differently as than it was. I saw this part of the kitchen that was like a back porch that had already been a kitchen when I was there. And there was an old lady sweeping. And I came back in my body and told my mother, that I saw this kitchen this way with this lady with a big white bun on her head. And she looked like the woman I would see at the foot of my bed later mm -hmm. on. Um, and she said, you know, this, this part of the kitchen was an addition. And she said, what you're describing was like that before they built it before, um, before they moved there, it was built like that. The neighbors had shown my mother photos of the old house. And it looked like how I was describing it. So I had some like time slip mm. there where I was seeing maybe the memory of the old woman. Mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know. I was never really clear what that was about, but that happened a few times. It's interesting. And I definitely like your use of the term time slip, by the way, uh, Starfire tour. Uh, so during different times of the year, the dreams, and of course, even during different times of the month, you know, when we're in the full lunar cycle of the fullness, when she's full, and then at say periods where the veil's thinner. So Beltane is one of those periods, but of course, Samhain is the big period. Uh, does that shift your dream world at all? Do you, have you noticed patterns over the years? about that and I so we could like, focus in on Samhain actually 
Yeah. I feel like in general, the um, intensity of my dreams and just in my daily waking self also is heightened and experiencing more kind of in general. But I do feel the dreams are more vivid and more um, frequent in that I can remember them. Yeah. And with the precog stuff again, I'm not done with that. Do you experience stuff that plays out for, say, bigger world events through precog dreams? I've seen some like plane crash type stuff when I was a teenager in the early in the early 20s. Um, I saw a plane going down in a field and catching on fire. Um, and then I knew of another, I was seeing, um, like, I don't know if it did crash or if it was like an emergency set down, but a few, just those two plain things that I can remember, and I don't even have good details on it. But in general, I would say I experienced more personal and like closer related type of precog stuff. Yeah. Versus versus world events. Yeah. That seems to be more common, definitely. And yet, and actually for a dream or two, that's a good thing, really, mm -hmm. is to keep it. It, it helps you navigate with this kind of stuff though what and as a witchy woman and because this is our Samhain witchy show do you use the portal of dreams magically mm. I do in the sense that I will open up or call on something or usually it's like a higher frequency being like a goddess or an archetypal energy or ancestors and ask them to connect with me or um, I'll kind of go to sleep with a prayer in my mind to connect or to interact for a purpose usually to receive something like information or a solution or guidance. Um, and then sometimes I will have interactions. It's not always with them, but it's symbolic where I'll wake up with like, okay, that's, that's what I have to do. And in that way, I feel like I'm using almost like I'm seeding my dreams with intention for, yes. for guidance. Yeah. And, and sometimes I've done dream work with folks that I've come to an impasse with and I just, there's no, there's like a total communication breakdown, but there needs to be something worked out. There's a knot that needs to be kind of loosened. And sometimes I will, um, asked to connect with them in the dream time, like with their higher self, um, consensually, of course, 
um, and I've had kind of those conversations with those hard conversations with people to have resolution or to ask for forgiveness or to tell them that they have forgiveness. Um, and that way I don't have to necessarily interact with them on a physical level. Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful tool. And I certainly make use of it. It's even if for naysayers out there, even if it's just for yourself and your personal growth, because this stuff's all working within the the construct of our psyche. And so it's just part of that digging in the dirt, right? The soul dirt. And so as we traverse through this, I'm curious about where you are and how you experience what we call deja vu. Mm. Um, I feel like I have deja vu all the time. I feel um, sometimes I have a deja vu moment that will trigger a memory of a dream I had a really long time ago. And it's almost like a full circle moment. Um, but it's like deja vu. I know it's just a, a second or two, but it it's so intricate. The experience of deja vu feels like I could, it's almost like a dream happening, unfolding where I'm, I'm having it and it's taking so long because I'm taking so much in. There's so much I'm experiencing as it's, as it's um, like laying over reality is almost what it feels like. I get to see that deja vu reality laid over this reality and it's maybe um, a second or a half a second off of what is actually happening. Um, and then sometimes um, it triggers a dream that I had that I remember a long, long time ago I had this dream and then, oh, this is playing into this moment right now from 15 years ago mm-hmm. or 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly, I, I, I can always know my into dreams. So this is an interesting thing to ponder. Think of this year of dreaming for you since, say, January, or even we can move further in, deeper into maybe March. What And if you're willing, what have your dreams been like during the, the lockdown, outer world craziness? What has, has been churning in your dream space? Mm. I've been getting a lot of nature dreams and connecting. There's this one river I keep going to. Hi, rivers. (laughs) There's (laughs) this one crystal clear river that I keep going to. Um, So there's like familiar places that familiar dreamscapes that I keep interacting with. Um, I think it's the Icky Tuckney, Itchy Tuckney in Florida. Um, I think so, but I'm not sure. If Hapner's listening, maybe he can confirm that. Yeah, or it might be Rainbow River. 
it's it's a river I've been to when I lived in Florida. I can't recall which one, but it's super crystal clear. And I'm going there and I'm sort of swimming in it or um, being in it, like waist deep, almost like I don't have a body though. It's so the wiki like Maybe it's wiki yeah. Could be about the mermaids. Yeah, mermaids. Um, I love that name. wiki There's some of the oldest mermaids there that are doing a show super cool i think from the turn of the century um they've had a consistent mermaid show there oh yes i'm totally familiar with that mm -hmm. oh love 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 yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be wiki -watchy. they did a um, documentary on them it's so great they're amazing mm -hmm. um but it's one of those beautiful crystal clear spring fed rivers um that i visited in florida and i go there and i'm in the water and sometimes river otters come and i just love to say that word too river otter <laughs> <laughs> um and i'm playing with them i'm playing with these river otters and can feel the really cool water and see the clarity of the water and feel the mutual joy of interacting. There's this one particular one. Sometimes there's more than one, but there's this one particular one that I remember what they feel like. And we play together. That's probably the most standout, um, whatever quarantine dream or whatever you want to call it of this year. That's making interesting. Friends. Yeah, making friends with the river otters. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's pretty interesting. And I like how peaceful that is, considering how much, you know, un instability there is and all the rather chaotic stuff going on in the outer world, your inner world, you're having beautiful river otter dreams. Very, very lovely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then so I'm curious about your ideas, where you stand now with transitioning. And I mean this in the living to dead kind of transitioning and keeping in with the Samhain theme. So of course I know, I mean, you're a witch, so I, 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 know, I know the framework here, but where are you with all this? And and like me, you've you've traveled a lot of pathways, so there's a lot in the mix as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I've had a few near-death experiences, so I feel that um, I've come sort of face-to-face -face with that. As Even as an adult, um, I was in a near-fatal car crash a few years ago, and as the car was coming at us, I thought to myself, okay, like, this is it. And I kind of like braced myself in a, all right, here we go. You know, and I was ready to go, ready to move on. Um, I mean, I'm not in any hurry to leave yeah. this life, but I feel that I'm not, terrified or afraid of it um, at my core. There's a lot of surface level fears and anxiety 
I think I'm more worried about suffering than I am about actually just transitioning. Yeah. Do you, so, yeah, I think that that a lot of people that have worked on themselves say that. That's a very common thing. I agree. Uh, suffering is no fun. And for those of us that have experienced a lot of suffering too, it's like, uh, no fun. And ironically, I mean, there are a lot of people with really great charts that seem to have come in to just have wonderful, like almost like vacation lives, you know, with all those beautiful trines. And, and I was talking with Christine Payne Towler about that, you know, her mother's one of those. And, you know, she's like, why would I want to, my suffering, you know, why would I want to begrudge my mother for having one of these lovely lives and, and bring her into all this, just allow them to have that. And there's a lot of wisdom in that statement, really, because it's easy to go, it's easy to want to suggest people need suffering to move forward. And I'm definitely one of those people who believes that. But at the same time, we all need a vacation. <laughs> and so like a, a little vacation life or however you want to view it is is awesome although i will put forward that in these times where we are this may have been a vacation until now there's a big event happening and i think we're all on board because of it personally i think that that this is an extraordinary time to really start honing in and tapping these abilities we're given and one of them is moving through the portal of dream and understanding that even in waking dream or active imagination how we can participate and find a deeper meaning through really an incredible part one of a trilogy ending it's going to be a cliffhanger i think <laughs> i think this is going to be a cliffhanger what are you thinking about all this oh my without goodness. getting political of course yeah. let's talk about rise above and look at it in the general scope of how dynamic this is i'm honestly I'm just sort of gobsmacked because I feel like when I was on Lighting the Void in, I think it was January. No, it was early Pisces season in the tropical. And I told Joe that I felt fogged, that I was just in this fog. And I even named my blog um, Foggy Rambles of a Neptunian Forest because of it. <laughs> I love that. It was just this foggy time. I couldn't get clear on anything. I tried to, um, when I saw that there was, you know, threat of the virus coming, I took my um, pendulum that I've had for over 10 years and tried to do some divination with the pendulum and the chain broke mm. and the pendulum rolled into oblivion. Oh. <laughs> I had to get Girl. a new pendulum. I know. I thought, well, that's not a good sign <laughs> at all. Um, I just feel like there's been a lot of um, confusion is, is the best way I can say. Just a lot of deliberate and inherent confusion. And what my prayer has been is to 
to move into a place of creativity. And um, one of my teachers used to say, we're here to live the mystery, not solve it. Mm. So that's been a little mantra I've had is to almost be with the unfolding mystery as it comes each moment and try not to get too attached to any story or any outcome. And um, I feel pretty insulated in a way, but it doesn't take much to tap into the collective. Right. But I'm trying to have a little bit of a barrier in these times because I'm pretty sensitive and it's, it's a lot to feel. Um, So checking out as I need to, but I do feel underneath it all, this sense of purposefulness and excitement and an expectation almost of like what's to come and feeling pretty joyful about it, honestly. And my, my mantra um, for this in general has been requesting the most benevolent outcome. And I recently was turned on to the idea that instead of there being like an infinite number of say parallel realities that are out there, um, that there's actually just 22 and they correspond to the major arcana. And so I've been thinking about which, which major arcana have we all tuned into as a collective? Are we all just focusing on the tower card right now? Is that what 2020 is? Or is it the star? Or what, like, what are we, what card are we in? What reality are we tuned into now? And it's, it's the devil card. Maybe so. Yeah. I, uh, you, again, I think that might be a perspective perception. Because if you look at, like, as you said, you're pretty insulated. And so your personal world is is pretty insulated, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is, as am I, I have to go out to find it. And so, and, you know, you don't have to go looking too far, but I do have to go out to find it. So I love the idea earlier when you were talking, it seemed very high priestess to me, allowing the mystery to unfold. Mm-hmm that there is a mystery here and not necessarily feeling like we have to solve it, but rather allow it to unfurrow. And that is of course, one of those beautiful aspects to the high priestess. Oh, there was my, I always have an angel light in my, on my lap when I'm on the show. <laughs> I dropped it. That <laughs> was so, too funny. So Yes, that's the thing. There is this something I'm coming to, Navier, that even though there's a high, the stakes seem high, the, the thing is, this is a mass event and we're sharing it. We're all going through it, no matter what our personal spaces are. And our personal spaces are always a reflection that, of our inner space Outer space is a reflection of our inner space. So, and then there's, of course, the cowl, your personal space, into the outer, outer space, which is the collective. And the thing I'm finding most interesting here is even for people that are afraid of change, 
that have a fear in death and a fear in transitions. Uh, we're facing this collectively. So it's not like you get cancer and you, you've got a loved, you know, loved ones around you or not, and you're walking through this alone. We are all walking through this together. And there's something really powerful about that as an idea, just as an idea, not even taking that further into the, the reality that we are actually all in a transition collectively. It's very special. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, there's lots of, uh, like any good film, there's lots of dark influences here. There's, you know, there's everything you need for a good mythos, right? Unwinding. And that's why people are overlaying all of this onto wherever their perspective is, whether it's a Christian revelation or all the Kali Yuga. I mean, we could just go across the board and it feels like a vesica pisces to me where we've all overlapped and somewhere here in the center is something very magical that we are actually here to attain i feel that too mm -hmm. i feel it's important to stay centered in that in that overlap in that sort of mystical center um, to be still in that center. And, and I've heard you mention so many times that you're living a monastic life and you're doing your, your mystical studies in, in the woods. You're like um, focused and centered in, in your solitude. And I feel that I am also, and I'm feeling really blessed and happy that this is where I am in my life to go through this experience because there's been other times where I've had more of a chaotic home situation that it would have, would be no fun to, to be going through this now or then, but now it's really the best situation I could have to, to go through this. I have a lot of peace here and a lot of um, quiet that I can um, kind of stay centered more effectively because of my living situation and living um, kind of rurally in a way. Yeah. How is your, your craft wrapping around this particular season? So do you have, are you doing an active practice or praxis with others? Are you in a solitary state at this time? Uh, I mean, I know you have a very active online world and site and all that. You're very interactive with people on that front. But where you are in your, in your, where your body's tied, you know, in your physical space, are you, uh, what are you doing to, and I think I want to give this to people listening that may find these words, a sense of someone who is very grounded and has a definite sense of peace around them, that you have a, just a, a beautiful energy. And so I, I'm hoping that you can share a little bit of what you're doing during this period, and especially as we're looking at Samhain and the dark of the year, a lot of people get that sad, you know, the mm -hmm. seasonal stuff. And 
and perhaps maybe your words will waft onto welcoming ears. Mm, thank you. Um, I am pretty much alone and it's been a big shift because all of last year, I had a group of women, other witches that live on the island that we did, a, we committed to a, a wheel of the year together. So every Sabbath or um, seasonal festival, um, we got together and had ceremony and feasting and such. Small group and very intimate and it was awesome. And then at the beginning of this year, I started witch school and had a small group of women that wanted to learn from me and walk the wheel of the year together in a more formal way. And then I was doing online witch school. And then right around March, everything got wonky and they didn't want to continue because of COVID and such. And they had really signed up for a personal experience. They didn't want to go to an online situation which was fine. So I've just been practicing alone and interacting with um, the people I'm mentoring. And for my private practice, to kind of keep myself centered and grounded, I've been doing a lot of sigil work where I'll make an intention first thing upon waking up in the morning. I'll write a little... Um, like self-assessment, maybe I'll write about my dream, maybe I'll write about how I feel that morning, maybe I will wake up with like an anxiety or an issue that needs to be sorted or worked out or addressed. And sometimes if I write it, it's an impetus to do it in the physical, because I feel like you have to work things on a physical level. It's not all just um, up in the sky. It's not all just meditation. If you have an issue and it can be handled in a practical way, face it, you know, do what you can to unravel the knots on a physical level. And you can hit it from a metaphysical, spiritual, witchy, magic side too. But I also want to um, put the effort in, in a, in a practical way. So sometimes writing that out kind of clears my mind and I realize, okay, I want to make a list of what I actually have to get done around this issue. Um, and then sometimes things that can't really get addressed in a physical because I'm doing it sort of way, um, I'll do a sigil on it. And that's been huge. I'll, it's a way for my conscious mind just to put it aside and let spirit take care of it because there is nothing I can do on a physical level to handle it. And it's sort of like a piece that comes, well, I've done all that I can in the physical. Now I'm going to give it over to spirit and trust and let it go. And there's a detachment there that happens for me. And it's, it's become a fairly regular, if not everyday practice for me, um, kind of emptying my mind. And for those of you out there who consider themselves artists, I think we all are artists. There's a book called The Artist's Way and she talks about morning pages and you can write three pages every morning and just sort of like dump your mind. 
And that's one of the components that I'm incorporating is doing these morning pages. Um, she doesn't specifically mention dream work, but I incorporate trying to remember my dreams into it. And yeah, that's been, that's been super um, self-care, self-nurturing type stuff that I've been doing with that. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And I like the idea of incorporating uh, the dream stuff or remembering dreams into those kinds of workings. And it's easy to do once you start doing it. You find that it it pays off and it can be incorporated into anything. Your morning tea and uh, in the Jungian way of overlapping a dream onto a piece of furniture or a wall or a sidewalk on your morning walk. And in this way, we're accessing deeper points of our, our psyche, of our consciousness. And therefore, we're coming to a deeper awakening within this overall larger dream where outer space is. And for me, outer space is where the collective is. It's the collective unconscious. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to get at with you also, and I had forgotten, I just looked down at my notes. I haven't even looked at my notes. <laughs> it's, it's just flowing. Yes. Uh, is because you're one to jump and and really take action in your life and uh, follow the synchronistic flows uh, as I do. And I was wondering during some of these times and some of these things are not easy to do. Some of these things and times when you want when you want to do something or making a change, uh, they have strange ways of working out no matter what your will is, as you know. However, the dreams during those periods can be very fruitful. And I'm wondering, do you have a sense or a memory of any dreams that were prevalent around any of the times you jumped off the precipice? Mm, good question. Um, first thing that comes to mind is I remember like when I left Chicago, that was a big jump off for me. I had been in a relationship and left that relationship and was living with a roommate for a year. And at the end of that stint in Chicago, um, I gave away everything I owned and just traveled for a while. And um, people from that Chicago community were getting in touch with me saying that I had come to them in a dream, like had opened a portal in their wall <laughs> and came through and Ooh. talked to them. <laughs> and a few people from that community actually messaged me and got in touch with me via email and such. And I was, um, and I feel like I had a familiar sense when they said that, like they were on my mind. And then they messaged me and said, you were in my dream. You made a portal in the wall. And um, yeah, so I, mm, there's one dream that I can remember. It wasn't from that, that drop off time though. I had just moved to Florida and I was, um, I had plans, I had big plans to go to Thailand and <laughs> the universe had different plans for me. And I 
ended up staying in Florida for six and a half years, but I was visiting just for a long weekend, I thought. And when I got there, there was someone that I met that I felt very protective of. I felt like we had had past lives. Maybe he was my brother. There was a sense of like, he was my little brother. I wanted to protect him. And I gave him um, a lot of crystals and different guidance and things. And um, in a short time, we became really fast friends. And I had a dream of him where we were both really small. I mean, like maybe a foot tall because I could see us up against the wall, how high we were. And we were little, like mice or something. And he said, Navier, something's here. And I said, I know. And I went to close the back door to keep it out. And before I could get to the door, it blew open. And it was this really tall being that had um, like a blinding head. The head itself was this like blinding light. And it was going in a circle clockwise. Um, and it was making this horrible like kind of sound. And it was very disorienting, the sound. And the light was very blinding. And I remember I put my hand up in front of my face so I couldn't see the light and I full channeled Glinda the good witch <laughs> I said I love that <laughs> I love her and I said you have no power here be gone and it was like <laughs> and it went flying out the back door and I closed it and I remember this feeling of like protectiveness over this person and um it's strange because the same young man um has an obsession with Nazi Germany and he he's like irrational about it he just has this obsession around it and one time he showed me um he has like a uniform I don't know if it's a replica or what but he brought me into his closet he was like hey Navi look at this and I looked in his closet and I saw it and when I looked at his face it was changing it looked like a different person. And he said to me, he goes, whoa, what just happened? And I said, did you feel that? And he said, yeah. Wow. And I started to cry. Demons. And I was, it could have been demons, Jer. <laughs> and I sobbed and I said, um, I just felt all this sorrow. Like I couldn't, couldn't reach you anymore. Like you were gone. Like there was a part of him that was sort of like brainwashed or, you know, left us and he was it felt like he had gotten um recruited you know and and drank the kool-aid and was all into becoming a nazi youth or something i don't know that's what it felt like i don't know what he is now <laughs> it's i don't even know if he's registered into anything but yeah so it was this coming to florida um, I was having a lot of weird metaphysical dreams like that. And with people I had just met that felt really familiar to me. Um, and some of them I did feel really protective of. That's interesting.
The with that idea also, well, first of all, when when were you in Chicago? I was in the suburbs, northwest suburbs, uh nineteen ninety either seven or eight I got there. And then I moved into uptown in two thousand two thousand one. You were an uptown girl. I was an uptown girl. I lived in I uptown. Lo- I loved uptown. Did you? Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah, I lived up there. I lived, I can't remember the Winona Street. Oh no, I was Winthrop in Winona. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh girl, that's some overlap. Yeah. Wow. Ar- we were I love right ar- Argyle. We were right around the corner from the Aragon Theater and yeah. the Green Mill. The ballroom. Yeah. We right Aragon Ballroom. Block. Right. I did. I worked exclusively at the Aragon. I did all the stuff. I was a worked for uh, Debbie Shark at Eat Your Heart Size. She did all the catering for that. So I was. I was always there, back scene with the bands. Was that awesome? Was that a Lettuce Entertain You company? Eat Your Heart Out. Uh, no. You know, you you know who that is of Lettuce Entertain You, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, Debbie Sharp, Eat Your Hearts Out is the rock and roll caterer. And so it's just a whole different ball game. But the Green Mill is amazing. And I hung out there. I loved it. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, girl, we could go on Chicago. We won't go. I know. Do another show on that. But so I wanted to get in also with you. One of my notes here was others. And so this includes... And of course, since we're on Nox Mente, this is weaving in and out of dream space, in and out of that state of consciousness and ideas of where where we are and all that, just to ground that back in. But others is a wide open territory here. So this can mean we've already talked about apparitions and all that. But, and you've brought forth the, the chimeric, stuff also that alchemical stuff but what about kind of the woo with the ufo stuff all that oh my gosh i have a really good woo um ufo type of story um that involves my mother actually um so i was married really young like in my like 2021 and it was really short-lived and I moved back in with my parents for a year while that, you know, separated, going through the divorce kind of thing. But it was awesome because I was having this like reawakening. I was liberated. It was freaking awesome, actually. And during this was during this year that I was back in my childhood bedroom, living with my parents, fully embracing witchcraft and a new pagan community I had just found. And um, I had a lot of um, experiences against, because I was experiencing ghosts and such from a young age. But then when I started to go through puberty, it stopped. It really wasn't full throttle from maybe 11 or 12 to 17. It started to, it was different. It was tamped down in a way. And then when I was approaching like 17, 18, they started getting um, more intense again. And then moving back home, it was like all the spirits were like, yay, she's back, you know? And I started to have experiences again, but I was way more mature and 
ready to kind of connect, you know? And I had this dream where I was in a, like everything was metal. It was a kitchen, but it was like a metallic, almost like a lab, I guess I could think about it that way. Um, but in the context of my dream, it was a kitchen and the counter was really tall, like almost to my like face height. And I was struggling to like look up onto the counter to see what was there. And I could see there was a metal frying pan. And I was thinking in my head, what's in the frying pan? I want to see what's in this frying pan. And something behind me that was really tall said with this like creepy voice, eggs and the voice was so scary (laughs) I mean I almost cropped my pants and it immediately I was like (gasps) when it said that and it this thing grabbed me from behind at my waist and lifted me up and it spun me around like 90 degrees and faced me at this um, it was a wall that was all glass. And as far as I could see, the wall was glass. And it was like a really long, almost like never ending kind of wall. And it was this, you know, floor to ceiling, like patio door kind of thing. And when I looked, you know, into what it was like a, a kind of like a lawn, I guess it was a green space. And all of these grays were lined up there hundreds of them all in a row all lined up in orderly um and this thing that had grabbed me from behind lifted me up and like presented me to them and I remember you know being up in the air and seeing them below me and feeling this thing hold me and I started yelling the Hail Mary and I wasn't even Catholic at the time but I was yelling the Hail Mary and woke up and woke up and um, had to use the restroom immediately, felt like an urgency there and went to my door and saw that the bathroom light was on and my mother came out of the bathroom and she was like, oh, you scared me. Why are you awake? And I said, well, why are you awake? And she said, I just had the weirdest dream. I was in this elevator and we were, it was like all this metal, all this glass. I could see out the elevator and we went really, really high. And it was weird. And I woke up, I had to use the restroom. And I thought it was so similar, the components of the metal and being high up and the glass and having to use the restroom. Um, I don't know, it was just a weird, all these weird coincidences. And then um, after that, my mom started having experiences that she shared with me where she would lay down at night and these beings would be around her bed. Um, She said they had a blue light and they would touch her and she would leave her body and go through the ceiling. And um, she would talk later about um, going to a room with all of her dead relatives and they would have messages for their kids, her cousins. And she would tell them, you know, your, your mother said, stop fighting with your brother and the ring is under the bed or, you know, all these weird 
um, messages that made sense to whoever she was telling. Um, but she looked forward to it. And at first she was really unsure if she should tell me. Um, my mom was not into sci-fi or witchy or woo or anything. She didn't read, she didn't watch it. She wouldn't even take me to see ET or Star Trek, Star Wars, none of it. She was not that person. So for her to start talking about, you know, ETs or greys or being floating out of her body, it was so out of her wheelhouse. Um, it was it was weird, but that mutual dream that we had seemed to stimulate something for her that she kept having way more, um, you know, ET type encounters than I had um, at that time, and hers were ongoing. And she kind of like relished them. She would talk about them and be like, "Oh, I look forward to doing to going to bed." You know, she liked it, and. Um, one of the other dreams that I've had since we've been in quarantine or whatever, um, I fell asleep listening to a podcast and in my dream, the man was, was talking and there was a person standing on my deck with, um, their mouth moving. And it was the voice of the person in the podcast. It was so creepy. And it was on the back deck where I live now and we have a banana patch back there and there was a um, UAP, uh, you know, smaller than a plane, bigger than a car, hovering over the banana patch in my dream. And I've had past lives with my mother in this lifetime that I've been able to remember and recall. And one of them, she was a little boy that drowned in a well and I was her mother and I saw her him drowning and couldn't save him and I realized it was this like turnaround lifetime of her not being able to save me and cross you know cross lessons there which happens a lot um but in this weird podcast UAP dream the person that's talking is the little boy that she was but all grown up on my standing on my back deck with this podcast coming out of his mouth with the flying saucer over my banana patch. I don't know if that's Holy significant. Wow. Navia, that's incredible. It was so weird. <laughs> it was, it was disturbing actually when it happened. And it that's really, that's during this lockdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, and this is part of the process where you started to find forgiveness with your mother, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where you saw that crossover from your drowning and then there is this other life where she was as a little boy in a well. This yeah. is so profound. Yeah. I, I see this sort of thing a lot because I do the Akashic Record readings with people and I see this sort of um, turnaround, you know, complimentary lessons where so-and-so was tortured by this person and then um they realize that in this lifetime you know they're the ones who have to find forgiveness because they were that person in the past life it's like we we just trade roles and that's helped me to not get too attached to the persona of of people or things or you know um you know i 
I, I'm really fascinated by the whole concept of scapegoats and people that are projected on. And we all have played that role in some way for different people, the different experiences that um, people need to have. Sometimes they need that um, projection or that, um, not villain, but adversary. Sometimes we have to play that for people um, in order for them to really get a lesson or an, a full experience. Yeah, I've I've often found myself in that ponder as well. And with my mother, uh, it, it was the same. She was always the goddess to me. And it was only in recent years where I realized that she, there was more of a nefarious aspect to her. Uh, but I was fortunate enough in when she was still alive back in the 90s to had have let it let her have it so to speak and get out the poison get the venom out while she was still alive and unbeknownst to me that you know that she was gonna die uh so it is a good thing because i always felt like i was her parent mm, <laughs> it was mm -hmm. like wait 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 how am i taking care of you i'm a little kid here so i one of the things that struck me here when you were talking about this with your mother was the mutual dreaming. Now, this is something that is very fantastic in the world. I love when I encounter people speaking on it. Is Was this the, an anomaly with your momo or have you had this with other people at other times? Mm -hmm. I feel like I have had similar dreams with people that are in my bubble at the time but not as like waking up at the same time, having almost um, a crossover type of experience. I've lived in a lot of communities, not different communal situations in my years. And that's when it seems to happen, like living with people. We sort of like share a dreamscape or something, but it's never been as profound or as like meaningful. It's more like, oh, I was in a festival dream. I was in a festival dream too last night, you know, that kind of thing. Like we're in this similar dreamscape at the same time. Yeah, this one with your mother is really special because of all the absolutely everything lining up and then you're both waking up and having this crossover like that. Did she, so before this, she was not at all woo. Mm-mm. And do you think this was one of the uh, factors that it sounds like she kind of got to be woo? It was weird because I had moved away, right? So I moved away and my mother and my father and my grandmother were now experiencing in the haunted house. My, my grandmother would be yelling, um, what do you want? What do you want? And my mom would say, who are you talking to? And she would say, the baby, me. And she would say, she's at her own house. She's not here. And she goes, well, then who's knocking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my grandma was ornery. So <laughs> she was hearing knocking. She was getting um, pushed. She said um, something even kissed her one night. Ooh. And then my, my mom um, 
was having like lights in the ceiling. That was her thing. She would see lights in the ceiling, um, you know, coming out of nowhere, no overhead light, and then a a a, a white light, and then a, it would go to nothing. She would see that a lot, and then she would have these beings around her bed touching her. Um, but this was after I moved back and while I was away. Um, even my dad, while praying the rosary of all things, he prayed every day at 3 p.m. And when I asked him why at 3 p.m. he prayed the rosary, he would say, because that's when our Lord died. And I'd be like, is that like, <laughs> you know, Jerusalem standard time or what? Three and she, <laughs> you know, and give him a hard time. And he'd be like, it's 3 p.m. That's what a mystic said. Leave it if you want, you know, and he would get frustrated because I'd ask a lot of questions. But um, that was his thing at 3 p.m. So he was praying the rosary and he said he saw this white, he said it looked like someone had chewed gum and blown a bubble. And it was that weird sort of filmy, stretchy, white color um, moving down the hallway. And he looked out the hallway and even got up and looked and said it went into the hall closet, which is where I would always see things go into. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And um, after I moved out, I was only there for like less than a year. My mother's cousin moved into my bedroom, my old room. And um, she said, you know, no one ever believed you when you were a kid that this place was haunted. She said, but I know it is now. <laughs> and I said, what are you experiencing? And she said, well, things come out of the closet at night. And I was oh like, goodness. I know, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> so a lot of other people, including her, my parents and grandma were kind of confirming what I had experienced. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because while I was there, it wasn't, it was pretty much focused on me, but um, it continued after I was gone too. So. And you know, closets are classic. Right. Totally. They're, I mean, they, they really are a portal, but they're, it, it's the, before I even knew that even as a little kid, it was like, there was always something about closets or the one under the steps and it for people that had old houses and there's, I mean, it is, it's a thing in the world, the closet. And so oh, yeah. for you to be bringing this forward <laughs> and that your, your very Catholic father, you know, your papa had that experience while praying the rosary. That's pretty significant. It was. And I was really angry about not being believed because um, he would, he would make me say there's no such thing as ghosts and like repeat it when I would tell them about an experience and it, I can remember like gritting my teeth and being like no it is real and he'd be like no you're making it up it's your imagination say it you know and I'd be like no and I'd be so mad because <laughs> I knew what I knew you know and um I felt really abandoned and really um rejected in a way because I wasn't supported you know so yeah. years later, as a young adult, when he's telling me, you know, I had a, I had this experience and he described it, I looked at him and I said, this is what I've been telling you since I was a little girl. And I, and he was like, yeah. And I said, don't you think that you just, I deserve an apology for that? 
I said, and I started to cry. I was really upset about it. And I said, um, it was really, it was really lonely to not be believed and experience these terrifying things as a little kid. And he said, well, I guess I owe you an apology. Aww. Yeah. Aww. And it was, I was so glad that we got to have that, that sort of heart to heart together. Yeah. Because it really bothered me. Yeah. And I felt, I felt sort of vindicted. Vindicated. You know, vindicated, not vindicated. Yeah. I'm so vindictive. <laughs> yeah, I felt vindicated. Yeah, you, you are totally the vindictive type. You're vindictively vindicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I just looked up, I can't even believe it's already eight. My God. Um, I'm sure, are there, Jerry, do we have questions? I do have a question. Do you want it? Lay it on us. All right. So have your visits to Navia, have your visits to sacred places been synchronistic or intentional? And how did those visits affect your dreams? Ooh. Ooh, that's um, a good one. It is a really good one. Um, wow. I feel like some of the journeys have been intentional for sure. And for a long time, I was sort of, just going from sacred place to sacred place and saving money to get to the next sacred place kind of thing. Um, but some of them I've just sort of landed at without even realizing that's where I was headed. Um, and wow, let's see. What was the second question? How have they affected my dreams? Yeah. Um, there was one place in particular that's standing out. I went to a sacred spot on this island, but it was the first time I was here. I was here um, in 2003, and I knew I had to go to this Polo Valley, and I hitchhiked there, and I didn't have a tent. I just like laid on the ground and went to sleep. It was that kind of flying by the seat of my pants and laid on the ground and camp. That was my camp and slept and had crazy, um, I guess maybe land spirit dreams of, um, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I felt like I was taken to a place before there was people here and was just experiencing the land, like communicating to me in its own way, like, on a visceral level, just sort of like getting downloads from the land itself. And then I just woke up and hiked out and that was that. So I feel like sometimes I'm led to a place and it's not so um, mental. I don't really know why I'm here, but maybe I need to meet someone or maybe I need to have a dream and sink in somehow with a, with a piece of energy. I'm not sure if that answers right. the question. Uh, that vibes for me, for sure. That's that synchronicity. Uh, you know, it's it's that whole thing with just riding the wave. And somehow it's always, for me, it's always played out and worked out well, even if there were scary aspects. For sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a great pleasure. I'm so glad we finally had you on. 
I'm uh, delighted. Yeah, thank you is, so much. You're yep, wonderful. You so you're much. absolutely a gem in the world. And you do a great service uh, for people as well. You're out there in such a beautiful way, Navier. Thank you. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, Jerry. And same to you. I love to tune in and I'm always inspired by all of your works and yeah, your energy and presence too is, I always say that you're a treasure and I mean that seriously. Oh, I adore you. This is, this is a group hug. <laughs> we're, we're the tender ones. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> That's right. We all three overlap in Chicago. That's yes. Right. I, I knew about Jerry, but I didn't know about Nish. That's even better. It's awesome. Oh yeah. I lived there for years. Yeah. I'll be there in so three good. weeks. Jerry's going to go terrorize the family. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> my mom's already making noise. I'm afraid of the virus. If you come up like, oh my <laughs> Tis the season. Yeah. I'm like, mom, it's bullshit. Whatever. Things will lift after Samhain. I always feel so much better. Yeah. We just have to get in. Well, this is the, uh, you know, we didn't even talk astrology with you, you do Mayan stuff. You're so amazing. There's so much stuff that we could, there's so much ground we could cover with you. We should have you on an obelisk to get into some of the Mayan astrology and all that kind of work. Let's do that. And if you could send me you and Jerry's um, month, day, year, I can have your chart so we can do a little on. Oh, in Mayan astrology, cool. I've never had mine done. Oh, send me your your birthday info, and I'll do, I'll work your charts up, charts up. Ooh, girl, oh, I'll do cool. that on fun. Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be very cool. I'm thrilled about that. it. Yeah, we should definitely. We've got to book you for a Mayan event on the obelisk and go deep into that sounds amazing and jer i love when you say welcome to the obelisk, the obelisk. i live for that <laughs> it's so good so be sure to bach tune in ah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. where's the drum you need your little your horn jerry uh, yeah, your clown horn that's my clown world horn. it doesn't work it doesn't work for the rim shot uh, I didn't get a synchro bell or anything. You didn't mention what? any synchro. Well, <laughs> Chicago, there you go. <laughs> I think um, Winona deserved a synchro. Winona, sure. I heard, has a big brown yes. beaver. Oh, Lord. We're talking about Winona Street. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's a synchronicity, yes. Yeah, Winthrop and Winona. Mm -hmm. I know right where that is, of course. I loved Uptown so much. Mm -hmm. they All right. the best foe oh girl i had my vietnamese mom there i can't remember the name of it but she took me in and it was Aww. always i always ended up in the kitchen she always took care of me she'd brush my hair and feed me it was so <gasps> so fabulous it, uh, and then i had one of the because it's like little vietnam right there yeah. i had uh one a seamstress i'd get vintage clothing and stuff and i remember i had I started dating my then husband and she's like, Oh, honey, honey, salad, salad, more salad. I was having stuff taken out. <laughs> she was so mean to me. I'm like, are you seriously telling me to eat more salad? Oh my gosh. I know it was too funny. I, I, you know, whatever it, it is. It was the, it's the nature of it. I appreciated that she would say it. She was so concerned. Oh, honey, no more salad. <laughs> Oh, you eat gosh. too much pho. 
Eat more pho. <laughs> That's what she said. No more noodle. No more, more noodle. Salad. Salad. She kept saying salad. Uh, well, when she I was, was in- so good with the vintage clothing. Oh, that sounds like a dream. When I yeah. was in Vietnam, all I ate was spring rolls. Mm, oh my God, I'm such a sucker. I make really <sighs> great ones. They had to learn how to make all that stuff. Mm. Do you guys remember uh, Bazaar Bazaar in Old Town? I, I Jerry, I don't I know that I feel like do. I did. You feel like it? I feel Is it, like was it a thrift, Was it a thrift store? No, it was like an oddity store. It's where we got all our, our pipes, our paraphernalia. Like it's like a head shop. Uh, it was sort of a head shop, but it was also a record shop and a t-shirt shop. I, I used to love the the village discount. Oh Talk yeah, girl! The village thrifting. discount was the thing. Uh, That's the best thrift store ever. Oh my gosh! I should hit all the different neighborhoods with the village discount. Let's go to the village. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know for real. Uh, that's the stuff and i would take to my my uh vietnamese seamstress i was just like and stuff that was too small although i was really little then but stuff that was too small that was too um yeah too small she would do this genius like she'd pull the seams open and somehow exactly match everything this vintage fabrics i don't know how she did she worked magic she did Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Besides having that, she could have been Italian with that though. Yeah, eating too much pasta. You know, like <laughs> it was you gotta look like fat version. Tony with the pasta belly. <laughs> exactly. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you, Nish and Navier and everyone who's listening. Appreciate it. And be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you're not subscribed, because that really would be great. And uh I got nobody lined up for next week, so we'll see who's going to be surprised. Anyway, have a great night, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Good night, Jerry. Good night, Aloha. Nadia. Good Thank night, you. everyone. Ahoo, we ho.